Is there anything in your life that both excites you and frustrates you? I know a lot of times we think about that, we're like, man, those are really two very different emotions, right? Things that both excite and frustrate. Maybe it's your children, right? You love your children, you're excited about your children, but there are times that your children just do things, you're like, ah, and it just frustrates you about your children, right? Maybe it's your job, you're excited about your job, you really appreciate your job, but then there are times in your job where, where, where you are frustrated when it comes to your job. Well, when it comes to God, brothers and sisters, the fact that God is sovereign has a way of both creating excitement and frustration. When I say that God is sovereign, I'm basically saying that he does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and he doesn't consult us in what it is that he does. God's sovereignty excites us when we think about the fact that God has chosen to save us. He's given us certain spiritual gifts. He's given us certain opportunities, but then it also frustrates us when we don't have the gifts that we think that we should have or the opportunities that we think that we deserve. I, I submit to you today, brothers and sisters, that the sovereignty of God, God's control over everything, has a way of both exciting us at one time and frustrating us at another. Are you with me? Amen? Amen. Um, well, in our text this morning, Moses writes this psalm, and, and, and Moses is writing about this very thing, the sovereignty of God. Moses likely is writing as he's in the wilderness with the children of Israel, spending 40 years there because of sin and, and disobedience. And maybe he's on the cusp of they're about to go into the promised land, which he won't follow them into. And in the midst of that, he writes this, he prays this prayer to God. And so what I want us to do this morning is just take a look at the psalm, which was just read in your hearing, this prayer. And there are three things that I think it's important for us to see this morning. The first thing I want us to see is God's unlimited control. Secondly, I want us to see our limited reality. And third and finally, our need for God's grace. So first, God's unlimited control. Whenever we buy something, we like warranties, right? I don't know about you, but like when I buy something and there's a warranty on it, like that's really exciting, right? Like, man, I got some protection if something happens to it. The time when warranties aren't the most exciting is when they actually cost extra money, right? You're at Best Buy or Walmart and you go through the line and you're buying something and then that little screen pops up and says, you can get an extra two-year warranty for $49.95. And you're sitting there and you're like, man, should I get it? Should I not get it? Well, I really need it. I don't think I'm, uh, 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 you know, you, you you know, whatever. But, but either way, warranties are exciting for us. Right? We like warranties. We like the security that comes with warranties. Uh, recently, uh, we just moved to Indianapolis and we bought a new home when we moved here. And man, just a month into our home, or probably really the day we moved in, the air conditioning unit just went out. So the court, 90, now 90 degrees weather. You know, you know some people see that it's raining. They're like, ah, oh, I'm like, man, it's a little cooler outside. So, um, so anyway, uh, so I, I look and I've got the, the guy that I bought the house from, he has all these receipts and stuff that he kept and did a really good job of that. Um, and so I look and there's a receipt that says, man, there's a 10 year warranty on this, on this. And I'm looking, I'm like, okay, hold on, 2009, it's 2000. Oh, okay, I got a year left. So I call, he's like, oh yeah, we'll come out and look at it, this, that, the other. Before he comes out, he calls me, he says, hey, ah, oh, I'm so sorry, but the warranty actually is voided for the next person that buys the house. And you're like, what? But guess what? I had a home warranty though, right? And so I still got the warranty and was able, they're coming to fix my air conditioning. But all that to say, man, we love warranties, right? 
But you know something about warranties, just as I just shared with you about that first warranty, they're very limited a lot of times in scope, right? If you read the fine print, right? You read and you're like, yes, you're protected, but this, right? Well, in reality, I want us to understand from here in this point that I'm about to make is that God is not like some limited warranty with fine print. God is an unlimited God that we can trust. And so he, he, Moses shows us this. Look, look at verse two, verse two in the text. He says, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses is praying and he's like, God, before you created anything, you existed. And he says from everlasting to everlasting, you're God. And, and what he means by that is that God doesn't have a birth certificate or a birthday. God has always existed, even when nothing else existed. God has existed all in himself. He is sovereign in control. He's eternal. And there is no time in which God has not existed. And we hear that, and that's hard, right? It's hard to understand that because everything in our life, in the world that we live in, has a start date and an end date, right? You start school at a certain time, you end school at a certain time. A person's born at a certain time, a person dies at a certain time. But when it comes to God, start and stop times don't have any kind of control because God has always existed, always will exist. There's never been a time where God was not on the throne and in control of everything. And that's something we can be excited about, right? But not only does it show us that God is eternal, look at verse four, Moses says, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. Moses says, not only are you eternal, but you don't see time the way we see time. That God is not in time, but in eternity. God looks in on time and can see all of time, even as it's, hard, as it's forever for us, right? You think about a thousand years, like that's forever, right? Some of you young people in here are like 30 years is forever, but that's neither here nor there. But anyway, a thousand years, like that's forever. But for God, a thousand years is like yesterday. Or maybe even just a couple of hours in the, in the watch of the night. That God does not see time the way we see time because God is not confined by time the way we are confined by time. And that's good news because I know for us, we get frustrated when things don't go the way we want them to go, when we want them to go, right? God, I want you to do this now, and it doesn't happen. Well, I want you to know God is not on our time. God does not operate in time the way we operate in time. He doesn't have to worry about time the same way that we think about time. He is over time and in, in, in control of time and outside of time. Amen? Now, with these things that I've just shared about God being eternal, existing always, and outside of time, one source, what this is, is really speaking to the infinity of God. One source says the infinity, the infinite nature of God simply means that God exists outside of and is not limited by time or space. Infinite simply means without limits. What Moses is helping us see is that the God who we serve, the God who we talk to, does not have any limits whatsoever. Whatsoever. So, so I don't know about you, but that's good news, right? 
Because in reality, we have limits as we'll see in a moment, but the God that we serve is without limits. And his limit, the fact that he's without limits is extended to the fact that he is in control over everything. Moses gives us example of that in the text by talking about life. Look at verse three. Moses says that uh, you, talking to God, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Then look at verse five. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Moses is saying that life, you are a sovereign and in control over our very life. You return people to death, you sweep them away, that you are totally and fully in control of everything with our lives. God knows when we're gonna be born, God knows when we're gonna die, God knows who's gonna be born and when they're gonna be born. There is no Nothing that is outside of God's control. But you know what? God's sovereignty extends beyond his ability or his, 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 his control over life, but it extends even to everything else. Listen to what Psalm 115.3 says about God. It says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Our God is in the heavens He does all that he pleases. I want you to understand something, brothers and sisters. Our God is not in heaven surprised by what's happening in the world. God is not in heaven like, oops, I missed something there. God is not some being that's handcuffed in heaven on the throne, unable to govern and ordain the affairs of life. He's not surprised, brothers and sisters, by the political climate of our country right now and the, and the divisions that are coming because of it. He's not surprised by the racial tension that's in our country right now. He's not surprised by the persecution that's happening to believers all over the world and is creeping even into North America. He's not surprised by the hard situations that you face in your very life. No, he is reigning and ruling over the affairs of the world. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that nothing can happen in your life or my life unless it first goes across the desks of heaven and God ordains it. Our God is without limits. He has unlimited control. But secondly, I want us to notice our limited reality. Our limited reality. Not only does Moses help us see that God is unlimited and in total control, shown in the text by his control over human life, as we we saw he's he's in control over life and who lives and dies and, and, and all of that. At the same time, we see in Moses per how limited we really are. Look at verse 10 in Psalm 90. He says, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. Moses is like, hey, that that us human beings are actually limited in the amount of time that we have to live on earth. Now, now when he says 70 or 80 years, that's not some promise that he's promising that everybody's gonna live 70 or 80 years. We know that's not true. This might be talking about maybe an average span of life or or something of that nature, because there are many people that die much younger than 70 or 80, and there's some people that live older than 70 or 80. But nonetheless, the point is, is that our life on this earth is temporary. I like what Psalm 39, four, and, uh, four says, oh Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. 
Let me know how fleeting I am. Now, I, I want us to understand, though, that the shortness of life uh, that, that we deal with in this earth is not the way that life was supposed to be, right? We know that life was not supposed to be short. We know that no one was supposed to die, right? And Moses even addresses uh, uh, this and helps us, in a sense, understand that it's because of sin that, that life is short. And it's because of how fallen the world is that we live in that life is short. And look at 7 through 11. The psalm takes kind of a darker place starting in verse 7. And uh, Moses says, For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Can you, can you just imagine Moses writing this and saying this after he's been in the desert with these people for 40 years? All the death that he's seen, all the sin that he's seen, all the, all you gotta do is go back and read, you know, Exodus, you know, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you see all of, the, all of the stuff that Moses and the people went through and all of the sin and, and all of the evil and how fallen the world was and, and all the death that Moses actually saw. And, and that's what Moses writes here. Because Moses understands that because of sin, we're all going to die. That, that, that life is temporary this side of, this side of heaven because of sin. And, and not only is life temporary, but life can be hard, right? Life can be hard. Who can, um, you know, life, life can actually be hard. You have set our iniquities uh, before us, our secret sins and light for all our days pass under your wrath. We are brought to an end like a sigh, like, like, like the reality of like, can anybody uh, uh, just relate to that? Like as you live in a fallen world, the, that, that sin and death just continues to reign and when we see it and we recognize how bad it really is. Can you, can you relate to that? Do you, do you feel that and long for something else? Because that, that, that's, that's, that's what Christianity is the only thing that answers to something else. Amen? As we look at a fallen world. So, so, so he helps them see that it's because of sin that, that, um, that the world is the way it is. And, and, and you know what's really interesting? Moses' words here are a reality check for us. If we're honest with ourselves, we, we need to hear these words. We need to hear Moses' words about how limited our reality really is because we don't live as though it is. We, we, we might now, we would give the Sunday school answer. Yeah, I'm not gonna live forever, but, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, we live day in and day out like we're really in control of our own reality and our own situations, don't we? Think, think about the way that we plan for things. We plan, we strategize, we make decisions. And I'm not against planning, I'm not saying that, we'll talk about that in a moment. As, as though, but we do it as though we're in charge of next year next week, tomorrow, or even the next moment. Brothers and sisters, you need to understand that we are de de dependent on a sovereign God even for our very next breath. Moses' words here are a reality check, as I said for us. Uh, how arrogant and prideful is it that we live our lives like we control our own destinies? Listen to what James says in James chapter 4, 13 through 16. 
Come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Do you see yourself in this text at all, James? Do you see the reality in your own life that you're planning and strategizing and, and doing all of these things? And most of the time, a lot of times, not even thinking twice about the fact that God is actually in control of if that's even going to happen or not. But no, we should be like James and yes, we should plan, but we should plan with the, with the mindset of if the Lord wills. Now, the Lord wills is not some magical statement that you just put on the end of your plans so that God will do what you want him to do. Listen, God is not a genie that you can manipulate. He's a sovereign king. To say if the Lord wills is to recognize his sovereign control over your life and plans. It is to make our plans in pencil and not in pen. You know, I think if we're honest, deep down inside, even though we live as though it's not true, we, we, we know that our lives are temporal. You know, every ache and pain that you have is just another sign of how temporal your life is, right? I don't know, just recently, uh, I was playing basketball here at the church, um, and I like basketball. Um, playing basketball at the church, came in, I'm 35 now, about to be 36. And so I walked in, you know, just took a couple jump shots, you know, and the game got started, you know, teams got picked. About two, three minutes into the game, I go to make a move. Uh, I think it was Scott. I was making a move on Scott that works here. And I went to make my move and I heard this pop in my calf. And man, I thought I tore my Achilles tendon. And I came down hobbling and tried to walk it off a little bit. And then I just grabbed my stuff. I'm like, I'm gone. You know, I got to go. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's over. It's a wrap. Like, right? Um, you know, but it's in moments like that that we come to see that we're really not sovereign over our lives. And what happens, didn't it? As things like that happen, that, that as we have aches and pains, that we actually see that reality. Brothers and sisters, we cannot control the future. Only God can. And that leads to the last point I want to share. Number three, we need God's grace. Now, in verse 12, the psalm changes that, 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 that Moses has been laying out that God is eternal and he's outside of time and he's in control over our lives and, and we're here and we're not here. And, and he's talked about how, how we only have 70, 80 years and laid all that out. And that has led Moses to some requests from God, uh, to, to make some requests to God. And in verses 12 through 17, Moses makes about six requests to God. But what I want to do is I want to bring three points of application from those requests. And the first one is we need God's grace because we need God's wisdom. We need God's wisdom. Look at verse 12 in the text. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Moses is like, God, our lives are so short in this sin-cursed world that, 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 that we're not going to live long and our lives are temporary. You are sovereign and you are in control. And so, God, we need you to teach us how to number our days so that we can actually be wise in what we do with the time that we have. 
He's like, we need to be taught this because, because if we're not taught to number our days, then we'll think that we're going to live forever and therefore spend our time doing things that 10,000 years from now will have absolutely no value. We need to know how temporal we really are. Like Ecclesiastes 7 and 2, it says, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will take it to heart. Now, as we read this, we're like, it doesn't really make sense. How would it be better to go to a funeral than a party? That's what we ask ourselves, a house of mourning, a funeral, house of feasting, a party, like all of us party, funeral, party, funeral, uh, that's no brainer, right? Uh, but, but, but in reality, it is better. You know why? Because it's as we go to funerals, we actually see death eye to eye, and it makes us pause and recognize our own future upcoming death, and therefore think about what we're doing with our time. That so going to a funeral with all its sadness is actually a grace for us because it's in those moments that we learn that our days are few. The same way that person's laying there, one day we're going to lay there. And the question is, what are we doing with the time that we actually have left? I don't know about you, but if we thought more about how temporal our lives are and how God's control over our lives, I believe it would affect what we do with our time you? If I thought more about, man, my life could be over tomorrow. Like, how would that affect what I do with my time today? Right? How many people would I look to share the gospel with on my job through relationship? What, what, what ways would I get involved in ministry through my local church to see the gospel get out into the community? What ways would I engage my neighbors differently? Would all my conversations be about how, who won the sports game and, and who did this, who did that? Or would there be conversations that were pointed and serious about the reality of eternity? How many people would it cause me to spend my time pouring into spiritually to raise up disciples who will outlive me and make other disciples who will continue the spreading of the gospel? And this is big for me. How will it affect the way I train my kids and the legacy I leave for my kids behind me? This is not to say, brothers and sisters, that we don't relax. Um that we don't take vacations or any of that, but it is to say that we take our time seriously. How would it affect what we do with our money? How much more would we use our money for things that are actually gonna matter thousands and thousands of years from now than just temporal things now? That's not to say that God doesn't give us money to enjoy. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's something to think about. What I'm saying is what Paul says in Ephesians 5.16, that we need to be making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Are our lives marked by spending the time that we have doing things that will really matter in the grand scheme of things for all of eternity? So we need to learn to number our days. We need God's grace to help us to number our days. But secondly, we need God, we need God's grace to establish our work in the world. Look at the last verse 17 in the text. He says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. 
upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. What, what, what Moses is saying here by established work of our hands is that not only do we need God to actually help us see how temporal our lives are so that we'll actually use our time more valuable, but we even need God to establish the work that we're doing with our time. Okay, so, so it's not just God, uh, give me wisdom with my time so I would do things that are good with it, but it's also God, I need you to empower the work that I'm doing so that it will actually produce fruit. I don't know about you, but it's so easy, even for me in so-called professional men, working at a church, it's so easy to strategize about what I'm gonna do and what's gonna happen next, we're gonna do this, 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 this you know, and, and all of these things and, and, and not think about, man, if God does not blow on this, it's for nothing. So God's sovereignty not only controls our days and how much time we have, but God's sovereignty also produces fruit in the work that we actually do with our hands. God, we need you. I need you to establish the work of my hands if we're going to plant a gospel-centered church in Pike Township. We need you to establish the work of our hands if North Indy is going to continue to grow in health and vitality so we can continue to plant more churches. We need, Lord, you know, we need you to establish the work of our hands if our children's ministry is going to raise the next generation or if we're going to send missionaries to the nation. All of that will be for nothing if God doesn't lay his sovereign hands on it and cause it to grow. God, we need you to establish the work of our hands. Help us. We need to pray that more like, Lord, help me to remember that. No matter when I go, there's nothing wrong with planning and strategizing, but God, help me to know that you must blow on it. You must lay your hands on it if it's going to bring any lasting fruit. And third and finally, we need God's grace we need, because we need God's return. We need God's return. Look at verses 13 through 15 in the text. He says, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servant. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Moses is like, God, return to us. You ever feel that way where you're far from God? He's like, Lord, I need you just to return to me. Be close to me. Help me, God, to be satisfied by your steadfast love because only God's love will satisfy. I don't care what you're looking for satisfaction in. We, 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 God has made us in such a way that our hearts are made to where only God's love, God can satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. And I forget that. I know you do too. And we need to be reminded. That's why we need to gather together regularly. But satisfy us, right? But, but then, you know, he says what? Go, he says, have satisfied. Then look at verse 15. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us. You know, as Moses is praying this, I think he's longing for this now. And we should pray for these things, hoping that we see some of it now. But there's got to be a sense in which we're hoping in this for the future. That, oh, brothers and sisters, there's a day coming when God is going to fully return. And God's steadfast love will be known by us every single moment of every single day. And there's going to be a day when, as verse 15 says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. There's a day coming where God is going to make us glad for all of our future days. 
even with all the struggles that we've had in this life. And I know that you have had struggles and I have had struggles, but no brothers and sisters, a day is coming when Jesus will return and he's gonna make all things new. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning, amen? That, that God is gonna come back, amen? And we need to remember that and be reminded of that reality. And we can trust that to be true because we know that that promise is secured through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That God sent his son Jesus to die in the place of sinners and to raise from the dead and anyone who will turn from sin and trust in Jesus and his death and resurrection is forgiven of sin and secured that one day trouble won't last always. Sin won't reign forever. But a day is coming where God is gonna make all things new. And some of you are like, well, hey, hold on, preacher. We, know, we get the heaven thing and we need to keep our eyes on heaven, don't forget that. But what about right now in my situation? Well, I want you to know that even as we wait on God to do all this, we can trust that God will sustain us even now. You don't believe me? Look at verse one in Psalm 90 how he starts. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Moses is like, dwelling place could be refuge. He's like, Lord, you have been our refuge no matter what generation, no matter what we've been through, no matter what we've seen, no matter what struggles we've had, you have been with us. You have been our refuge. You have been keeping us. And so now, and brothers and sisters, we can say the same thing. God, you have been my refuge through all generations. No matter what I've been through, no matter what I've faced, you have been sustaining me even now. And so you can hold on to that today as you leave church. You can hold on to that as you go to work tomorrow. You can hold on to that as you face problems with your children. You can hold on to that as you face suffering in this world that's filled with sin. That as we wait on Jesus' return, he's holding us and sustaining us even now. So with that said, I got a couple quick last things, questions to ask you as we get ready to close. In light of this message, in light of Psalm 90, how do you see God? Is God some wimpy, handcuffed being in heaven that can do nothing about our situations? Or is he the sovereign king who is reigning and ruling over our very lives right now? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as sovereign over your own life in control of your own situation? Able to make whatever you want to happen, happen? Or do you see yourself as a subject under a ruling king who will reign and rule and do what he wants with our lives for his glory and our good? How do you see your time? Do you see your time here on earth as just yours to splurge on whatever you want to spend your time doing? Or do you see your time as a gift from God that is to be used to do things that will matter 10,000 years from now? And lastly, and this is a big one, and I need this. Are you longing for eternity? Are you longing for that day where mourning is gonna come. 
Are you longing for God to, as verse 15 said, make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil? Brothers and sisters, we must regularly remind one another of that reality as we go through this world. And then one more. Are you trusting God to sustain you even now? Are you believing that God is your refuge even now, no matter what your situation is, no matter what your plight is, no matter what your struggle is? That's my question for you, believer. If you're here and you're not a Christian yet, then I want to ask you, do you recognize how short your life is, how you're not in control? And deep down in your heart, you know it. You know it with every pain you know with every disappointment that there is something greater, that you're not able to control your own destiny. There's good news. If you will recognize that you're a sinner and turn from sin and trust in Jesus and his death and resurrection alone, he'll give you a new heart, new desires. He'll help you to have real purpose in life, which is only to be found as we live under the reign and rule of God through Jesus. So I want to have you think, think about that a little bit. Let's, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that you are good, that you are great, that you are sovereign, that you are infinite, God, that you are in control of our days, Lord God, that you uh, reign and rule and super rule. God, I pray that you would teach us to number our days. Help us to have wisdom and know how to use our time in light of that, Father. And I pray for those who don't know you that they would come to see that what they're ultimately longing for is a relationship with you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.